You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Drew Wright. Well, good, good morning, church. Uh, to those watching online or over in Overflow, uh, good morning to you as well. Um, hope you all are doing well here on our first Sunday of October, which is really weird to say. It feels like this year is like flown by. I think having a, a, a baby and she's almost 11 months old, which is wild to me. Um, it, it, you know, it, you just watch how fast time progresses and how fast they grow. Um, today, I'm going to just be honest with you, like it's been a rough morning. Uh, our family is dealing with sickness, so Hallie's sick, Christina's sick. Uh, I spilled toothpaste on my shirt as I was walking out today, and I spilled coffee on my white, all-white sneakers this morning. It's been a bad morning. Um, but yeah, anyways, if you've been around for the past few weeks, we have been in the book of Ezra, and we've been uh, walking through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through uh, th- this Old Testament letter, which if you're new to church or to faith in general, and you're like, I've never heard of Ezra, that's okay. Uh, it, it doesn't often get preached about. We often don't talk about it. It kind of gets lost in the Old Testament. And so if you're new to the church or faith, and you're like, I don't even know where to find that in my Bible, rather than just sitting there and doing this, it's going to take you a while, just use your table of contents. Um, it's okay. I, I do that from time to time when I'm like in a, in a hurry to find something. Uh, I'm not the fastest Bible drill person in the world. Um, I know Miss Rachel would get angry at me for that, but that's okay. Uh, today we are going to be in chapter 5. Of Ezra. So as you guys are turning there, I'm just going to read the first two verses and then we're going to kind of talk about that for a second. It says, Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edu, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Okay, uh, pause. I didn't intentionally lie. Um, but last week we actually weren't in Ezra for like very long. Cody actually talked about these two verses and then he jumped into uh, the, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. And so we jumped over to those books uh, in the Old Testament. Um, and uh, if you missed that sermon, you should go back and watch that because it's, it was really good, first off. But it is also uh, beneficial for what we're going to talk about today because we're going to go through the rest of chapter 5. Before we do that, in the, in the context of chapter 5, I think there's... Uh, two things that I want us to pay attention to in these first two verses. The first is for everything that we read today, we have to see the reminder that there is always work for us to do in the kingdom of God. There's always work to do in the kingdom of God. Um, And in that work, God is with us. God is with us in that work. Notice in verse 1 it says, In the name of the God of Israel who was over them, Haggai and Zechariah, when they preached, they didn't preach on their own. They, they, these, these men, they, they didn't rebuild or return to the work on their own. God was with them. And whatever, whatever he calls us to, he is with us. Now, in, in that, he reigns over us as a king over a kingdom. He reigns over us, but he is also with us in the work. Cannot miss that here in the beginning because everything that, that happens from here on, uh, we need to pay attention to that, that God's with us in the work. The second thing that I want us to notice is, is what the other two men mentioned in this passage do. Zerubbabel and Jeshua, right? They listen to the word preached. The word of God preached by Haggai and Zechariah, and what do they do? It's pretty simple, actually. It's not complicated. They obey it. They hear the word preached. They obey the word. Your obedience to the word of God matters. 
Your personal obedience to the word of God matters. These men, despite fear, despite threats, despite discouragement, or even just the possibility of being disappointed in the outcome, which stops a large majority of us in, in this room from following God, if we don't think it's going to play out the way that we want it to, we just don't do it. These guys simply obey. And that's it, y'all. Like When we hear the word preached, our obedience to that word on that day matters. We can't just hear the word preached week after week after week and think we are being obedient because we're coming to church. That's not the, the, the baseline of obedience. O obedience is hearing the word of preach and our lives changing because of it. When I was uh, little, uh, my mom and dad used to ask me to do all kinds of things around the house. Uh, you know, take out the trash, go clean your room, go sweep or dust the house, which I hated then. I still hate those chores today. I hate sweeping and dusting. I think they're pointless. Anyways, um, yeah, uh, some of y'all are like, ah, yeah. Uh, if I was doing something that Drew wanted to do, my argument to my mom, and I'm a really good arguer. I could argue with the best of them. Uh, my mom and dad always said, you should go be a lawyer. They're going to be here in the last service. They're going to hear me say this to them. Anyways, uh, I would say, mom, give me, give me 10 more minutes. Let me finish this game. Let me, give me 10 more minutes. Let me finish this thing that I'm doing that's more important to me. And I would argue my way into that sometimes, but you know what would happen. As soon as 10 minutes was over, the work wasn't done. I hadn't started on the work, which is infuriating to parents. Like the 10 more minute rule, that didn't ever fly, right? It wasn't about whether or not I was going to do the work. That really wasn't what, what it was about. It was about my timely obedience to my parents and doing what they were telling me to do. Like your obedience to the word of God matters. Martha Beck is credited with coining the quote that I've had on my whiteboard in my office all year, which is how you do anything is how you do everything. And when it comes to our obedience with God, I think this is so, so applicable. And I think Zerubbabel and Jeshua, they set such a great tone for us in this passage because they hear the word and they just get to work. It didn't matter how big the task or how little the task, your obedience to the word matters. It matters in the small things and it matters in the big things. And this, that needs to it be us, is following what they did. They hear the word, they heed the word, they get to work. Hear it, do it. It goes on in verse 3, it says, At the same time, and I'm about to use some, some Persian names, which I was talking to Cody, I was like, they're the worst names, by the way. So you got Tatnai, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Boznai, uh, Real, real great name choice there. Anyways, and their associates came with them and spoke to them. Thus, who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this. What are the names of the men who are building this building? So these men, old, old Tat, and his, who's the governor, and his secretary, Shethar, uh, and some more of his crew, they show up to the build site. And how many of y'all live in a neighborhood with an HOA? Raise your hand in here. Yeah, okay, I serve on the board of my HOA. I'm our, one of our vice president, and I joke all the time that I hate it, and that's mostly true um, because I just don't like spending my time talking about covenants, having to call people about fences that they built or whatever color or shingle they put on the roof. I'm going to be honest. I'm the worst person to be on the HOA board because I just don't care. Um, but I did it because I wanted to be a good neighbor, and the, the old guy that called me, I just I said yes to him, and so I've been on the board for two years now. So when I read this passage, this is kind of what I'm imagining in, the, in this scene is this HOA board showing up to this build site and being like, hey, 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 who told you you could build that fence? 
that's the wrong color paint. You can't use that kind of shingle on your roof, right? Like that's, that's kind of what I'm, I'm, I'm seeing is these guys showing up and they just start asking all kinds of questions. Now questions in, in and of themselves, actually these questions don't have any morality to them. They're not good. They're not bad. But, but when you have just started a work of the Lord, I can promise you, if you start doing what God has called you to do, I can guarantee you every single time the enemy is going to show up. And he's going to scheme, and he's going to do what he can to hinder you or stop, stop you from that work. Here we see questions. But if you read these questions in the right tone, they become threats. They become an intimidation. They, be, they become an effort to... Uh, uh, of trying to place fear on the people working, which is one of the main tactics of the enemy. And I'm going to talk about two main tactics of the enemy that I see out of this passage this morning. But the first one is that Satan loves to use fear because it can stop us from doing just about anything. The right amount of fear, the right placement of that fear will stop you from following what God has for you. That's why one of the most repeated commandments in Scripture is fear not. It's vital that we, we don't live our lives in fear. We're not meant to live in fear, but Satan will continually show up and use this in your life to get you to stop following the ways of Jesus and what Jesus ultimately has for you. I see a counselor on a pretty regular basis. I've talked about that. I'm pretty open about that. And I have since 2018, January 2018. And one of the things that came out of my session with my counselor this past week was about fear. And it wasn't that I'm walking around scared. I actually, I, I don't get scared super easily. Like, that's just not my personality. Um, but there's a deep-rooted fear that we began talking about. And at some point in the past few years, unconsciously, I, I started developing this strong urge to control everything in my life. And if, that I, if I wasn't in control of something, that it wasn't going to be okay without me. And to get really vulnerable with y'all, one of the areas that I did this in was our personal finances. Now, the groundwork is, I believe, uh, in being a really great steward of the thing, things that God has placed in your hands. I believe he gives to each of us a portion that he determines. And he, there's a high responsibility on that, of stewardship. It's a, the parable of the great talents. He gave to the three different servants different portions, but the same commandment applied to all three of them, to be good stewards. And I think he does that to us. And so that, that's the groundwork, because I have a really deep desire to be a really good steward. What I didn't know is how much the fear of not having enough was playing into how I was stewarding our money. And instead of being a good steward, I was allow, allowing the fear of not having enough to control my actions, to control my attitude, to control my stress levels, how often I checked my bank account, like all of those different things. Every time, uh, you know, we would make a purchase, I was analyzing it to the nth degree. And the truth is, here's the reality. If it's controlling you, there's always fear behind it. Every addiction, every compulsion always is fear-driven. We know that from addiction recovery. If you go and study addiction recovery, the psychology behind that is it's fear-driven. It's one of the main ways that the enemy attacks the life of the believer is through fear. I'm going to use Genesis 3 a couple of times this morning, but Genesis 3. Eve eats the fruit. The temptation there. She eats the fruit. She enters into a broken world and sin. Why? I would argue it's fear. It's the fear that God was holding out on her. It was the fear of not being in control, of her own morality. She eats the fruit. Why? Because she wants to control and define what is evil and what is good. And that same, that same sin continues throughout Scripture. You fast forward to the book of Judges. 
These people were doing what was right in their own eyes. Fast forward to today, what happens in our world? The whole world's doing what, was, what is right in their own eyes. And it's all out of this desire to control because it can be scary when we're not in control. Fear-driven, right? Here in Ezra, Tatnai could be trying to use fear and intimidation to halt the work that these men were doing. Or he could simply be doing his job and doing a good job at it, like following through with due diligence, right? And maybe it's just the gap between the known and the unknown that could drive these people into fear. Because I think often when there's a gap between what we know and what we don't know, we almost always fill it with negative thoughts. When we don't know how something's going to play out, most of us don't go, man, that's going to be the best outcome I could ever think of. We just don't do that. We look at the world through skeptic, skepticism and through skeptical eyes. Like That's just the way I view the world. That's the way I think a lot of us view the world. And this is where anxiety shows up. But I want you to notice how Ezra records the next verse. Watch what these men do. It says, But the eye of their God was on the elders of these Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. So what happened? Like, whether it was fear, intimidation, a threat, whatever, these guys just stayed the course. They don't allow fear to take root. They hold on to the word that was preached by Haggai and Zechariah, and they obeyed it, and they kept at it. When we face opposition of any kind, whether it's physical, human to human, or whether it's spiritual, which is most of the opposition we face as believers, staying obedient is usually the easiest thing to give up. And when you get busy, when hard things happen in your life, what's the first thing that goes? Probably your quiet time? Oh, didn't have enough time this morning. I'm out the door. I'm not going to read my Bible today, right? We're like, oh, I'll make up for it. I'll pray in the truck. And then you turn on the radio and you listen to sports talk the whole way, right? The reminder here through the, these men and their obedience is just to be consistent. The other seemingly small thing that I want to turn our eyes to this morning is the use of the term them in this passage. It says, and they did not stop them. Second tactic of the enemy, I, I believe, is he wants to isolate us. This is, again, going back to Genesis 3, one of his schemes from the beginning. When I read Genesis 3 and the snake's talking to Eve, I'm always like, where's Adam? Like, where's this dude at? Why is he not in this scene? Why is he not a part of this moment? And then you realize, oh, he walks up and he just eats the fruit without asking any questions. Right? Because it's a whole lot easier for Satan to win when he gets us alone. Any of, any of you that have ever battled loneliness, you know that that's true. That when you're alone, that's when we are the most vulnerable. But when we're together, when we work together, when we worship together, when we value and we spend time in the in community of other believers, that's where we see the advancement of the kingdom being able to happen. And I'm not talking about holy huddles. Like some of y'all think your small group, like, yeah, that, that's where that's happening. That, that's not actually what I'm talking about. It could be. Your small group could be the best place for the kingdom advancement. What I'm talking about is great commission togetherness. Like going out and living out Matthew 28 together. That was never a one-on-one -on -one commandment. We've, we've kind of made it that. We made it a personal commission, but it, it wasn't a personal commission. It was a y'all go. Y'all go make disciples. Y'all go change the world. Y'all go do this, right? Here's my observation. I've seen many Lone Rangers do a good job at being Christianly. And when I say that, like, 
People that just kind of isolate themselves, they read their Bible, they pray, they come to church, they go to small group, but they're not super connected to people. They're not being transparent or vulnerable in their lives. They don't let other people fully in. That their impact is always minimal and it's short-lived in the kingdom. Because the model that Jesus gave us, the model that Paul shows us in the New Testament, was not Lone Ranger. It was a together model. As a grown man, I, I struggle with this. Like, I constantly fight this inner desire to not need other people in my life. People ask me, hey, do you need help with that? My first, my natural response is no. It could weigh 900 pounds. Nope, don't need help. I'm good. Figure it out, <laughs> right? Some of y'all are tracking with me, and, and you're like, yeah, I relate to that. I, I fight this inner desire to prove that I can do it on my own. That's why I don't let other people in sometimes. Maybe you're different than that. Maybe you've been hurt by other people. You've been vulnerable. You've been transparent, and you've been burnt by other believers. You're like, tried that once. Not going to do that again. That was awful. And so anytime that that scenario pops up, you, just, you act like a turtle, and you just hole up. You're like, nope, that got uncomfortable. I'm just going to go into my shell. This is something that I've been dealing with in counseling and my counselor a couple weeks ago, as we were talking about this desire that I have to do things on my own, to not let other people in, um, to, to prove, over, overcome my inadequacies and all these things, uh, he said something that was so profound that I wrote it down, and I was like, Mike, that was incredible. And he was like, wait, what did I say? And I was like, well, let me, I wrote it down. Let me, let me speak to you. And this is what he said. He said, if I keep trying to do it all on my own, all I will ever prove is that I can't do it on my own. If I keep trying to do it all on my own, all I will ever prove is that I can't do it on my own. These men in this passage, they didn't return alone. They didn't rebuild alone. They did it together. As believers, we work together. We worship together. We do life together. That is how God designed it to be. And it's time that we stop desperately trying to show God, to show our family, to show our spouse, to show our friends, to show our coworkers, to show our church that we can do it all by ourselves because you can't. And if you're convinced that you can, I can promise you the only thing that you're ever going to show anybody is that you can't do it on your own. We need each other. The church is an us. It's not a me. And it goes into the verse 6. It says, this is a copy of the letter. That Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, which that gets repeated too many times in this passage, and Shethar and his associates and the governors who were in the province beyond the river sent to King Darius. So now this letter gets sent out, and just for time's sake, we're not going to read through it, because, it, and I'll explain that. But as Ezra did as he, in chapter 4, he provides us the text of the letter sent. He provides actually three, three contents of letters, chapter 1, chapter 4, chapter 5, uh, up to this point. And uh, what Ezra did when he put his book together um, and he put the material together, he provided the letter in chapter 4 before the letter in chapter 5 when chronologically those things were flipped. So the letter that we read here in chapter 5 actually happens before the letter in chapter 4, years and years before the letter in chapter 4. And Ezra knew what he was doing when he did this, when he put his material together this way, because when you read the letter, honestly, the letter is a generally positive letter. 
Mintatni reports that the work is, is good and prosperous, and, and, and he details how they're building it, that they're laying timber in the walls and all these different things. But Ezra did this because he wanted the current Israelites to see what those people before, him, before them did. He knew the temptation to fear. So when you read this letter, it, it reads as merely this, like a letter from an HOA board to this king, right? But, but Ezra was really conscious because he wanted to encourage the current Israelites to follow God without fear. He didn't want them controlled by fear. And so here in Ezra 5, he presents this letter to help them remember where God has brought them. Everything that they've walked through, everything that they've been through together, and then where they're going in the journey to rebuild the city and the wall, which is what we see play out in the rest of the, the, the book and in, in Nehemiah. Because here's the reality. Knowing where God has brought you steadies you for where God is taking you. In life, every single one of us, we're going to walk through hard moments, difficult moments, moments that, that can make us ask these deep questions about our identity, about our faith, about our trust in the Lord. And it's so important in those moments to understand the journey of where God has brought you because that steadies us for where God takes us. And in Ezra, this group of people, these men that were responding here in this moment, Zerubbabel, Jeshua, they knew who they were. They knew where they'd been, what they'd walked through, and ultimately their trust in God, their relationship with God was the foundation of their identity. Nothing else mattered to them as much as that. How about you? Like, where's your identity? What well, steadies you in life? And I, I get it, we're in church. So the easy answer is like, oh, it's God, right? Yeah, that's, that's what, that, it's easy in this moment. What about tomorrow? And everything blows up. Later this week. What about when you get that phone call that has terrible news on the other end? Is, it, is, is your relationship with God the thing that's truly defining your life? Is it the thing that steadies you when, when everything gets rocky? Or does it come from anything else? Your family your finances, your abilities and your skills, things you're good at, maybe your job, your, your title. I get it. Some of us don't really know who we are without those things. Like we don't have an identity outside of the job that we have. This is really common for pastors. We can get into a place where we think our calling is our job because we talk about it that way, that I'm called into ministry. <laughs> And for me personally, I've got to constantly remind myself and ask myself the question, if I wasn't on staff at our church, would I still follow Jesus the exact same way? Or is my title and my position the linchpin to the way that I'm following Jesus? See, these men knew who they were. They knew where they'd been. They knew the work that they were called to. They knew the word that had been spoken to them. But ultimately, the thing that defined them was their relationship to God. Their trust in God. And it's shown through their obedience. 
regardless of how it was going to play out. They're like, hey, we're just going to be obedient. And I think, I'm speculating, but I think if it would have all went to the wayside, I think these guys still would have just followed. They would have stayed obedient. And so I ask again, how about you? Is the thing that defines your life, your relationship to God, or is it anything else? Because everything else is temporary and can change in a minute. Maybe today is the day that you need to get that one aspect of your life lined out. Maybe there's something that you've allowed to define you that had no business defining you. In a moment, we're going to stand, we're going to pray, and we're going to sing in a time of response. During that time, two challenges. Maybe today you need to make a decision. Maybe you need to make a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you need to make a decision to get something out of your life, to, to deal with sin or whatever. Maybe you need to go pray with somebody about what's going on in your life. There's going to be a team of people back in our connect room, over in the back right side of the room. When we stand to pray, you just sneak out. You go talk to somebody. Maybe you're like, I am not trying to go through 40 people to get out. It's fine. Maybe you're like, I get it. I'm going to give you a cop-out. Here's the cop-out. There's a connect card in the seat back in front of you. Luckily, we designed those connect cards to be response cards. So on the back of those cards, there's a place to make a decision. There's a place to write a prayer request. And so maybe during this, pr- this prayer time, this response time, you need to fill that card out and pray over that card. And then on your way out, you can just drop it in the tithes and offerings boxes. And somebody in the church is going to follow up with you. Maybe it's just, hey, we're just going to pray for you. You'll never get a phone call. We're just going to spend time praying for you. Maybe you need to make a decision. We're going to do that. I don't know what you need to do this morning, but here's what I know we all need to do because our obedience matters, is we need to respond. So if you will, let's stand. You can bow your head and close your eyes. If you need to move and make a decision, now's the time to begin doing that. God, you're good. In ways that I can't understand all the time. Father, your peace shows up in moments where, honestly, it confuses me because it's like everything should be going bad and it goes good. Or everything's going great and you show up and teach us something in the midst of those moments. So God, I don't know what you're doing in a room this size. I know every single one of us has a response. Maybe it's making the decision to follow you for the first time. Maybe it's getting back return to the work that you've called us to. Maybe it's just dealing with some fear, anxiety that's controlling us. God, I don't know what that is, but you do. So, Father, I just ask that you would move. That every single man, woman, boy, and girl, that we would just be obedient to you today. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to our podcast. We hope that you've been encouraged and challenged 
to take steps closer to Jesus. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, share with your friends. It really does make a difference. And lastly, make sure to follow us on all of our social media at FBC Jinx to keep up with all that's going on in the life of our church. Again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.